Lonnie Diane Rich. And I'm Dr. Kelly Jones. And this is Big. Strong. Yes. Welcome to Big Strong Yes, the show where we share our journey of reading three books that are inspiring us to embrace courage, creativity, and the call to adventure. Rising Strong by Dr. Brene Brown, Big Magic by Elizabeth Gilbert, and Year of Yes by Shonda Rhimes. We are most active on Twitter, so follow hashtag Big Strong Yes for announcements and discussion. Follow Lonnie at Lonnie Diane Rich. That's me. I don't know why I'm talking about myself in the third person. It's just me. <laughs> and Kelly at Dr. Kelly Jones. You can also email us at BSY. That stands for Big Strong Yes at chipperish.com. And the engagement of our listeners has been one of the most amazing things. Um, the, one of the like really unexpected things that has happened from doing this podcast. We would love to hear your voices. We're getting some voice Mails. We're getting some recordings. You can, you know, turn on the voice messaging, voice memo thing on your phone and talk into that and send us that. It's great. Um, but we are recording the Rising Strong finale episode on September 2nd. So by September 2nd, we would love to have either those files or those voicemails. If you want to call the Chipperish hotline, that's 302-643-CHIP, 302-643-2447. You can leave us a message there. You can use your voice memo app on your phone and email that in to us. We want to hear about your big ideas, your strong challenges, your yeses. Let us know what you got out of this experience, what you learned. Um, you can yell at us. We got one uh, really lovely voicemail I'm very excited about where, where we got yelled at a little bit, and that was fun. Yay! Um, yeah, so we will be sharing everything that we have learned in this process as well, and it should be a really fun show. I cannot wait. Y'all, yeah. we want to hear from you so much, and that is going to be amazing. Um, if you're a Patreon supporter, we also have a Big Strong Yes chat room on Discord where we both hang out and answer questions and give support and just kind of talk to everyone that's sharing mm-hmm. their experiences and their stories. Um, it's intimate. It's private. It's incredibly nurturing. Mm-hmm. Um, and every week, I just want to thank the people that are hanging out there with us because they are amazing. Um, So if you want to join us there, head over to patreon.com slash chipperish. And once you get on the forum, you can go over 140 characters. Yes, you can, which is really nice. And we often, often do. (laughs) Thank you to everyone for the support that you've been giving the show and for participating with us online. Your tweets and the little graphics that you guys make and their comments and reviews mean so much to us. But if you enjoy Big Strong Yes and want to see it get the audience it deserves, please take a few moments. Go to Apple Podcasts and give us a review there. It really is the most powerful way to help us promote the show. Yes. And thank you to everyone that's posted reviews so far. They have been Mm -hmm. lovely. The reading we'll be discussing today is Rising Strong Chapter 11, The Revolution, which is the last chapter in the book. I know. I cannot believe it. (laughs) I know. We got through it. We got through it. And the shift that we're going to make to the next book is going to be really interesting. So in order to kind of help with that, instead of just closing one book and immediately opening the next, we're going to have a Rising Strong finale. So next week, Lonnie and I are going to hang out, possibly with an adult beverage of some sort, (laughs) and (laughs) talk about this experience and talk about the book as a whole, talk about what we've learned, what surprised us, and hopefully we'll have feedback from listeners to share so you guys call and, and send in your stories that we can post there too. After the Rising Strong finale, we are going to take the week off, (laughs) but we will be back on September 20th with our first reading in Big Magic, and I'm so looking forward to that. 
I so, am too. Yeah, it's going to be it's going to be awesome. Um, but if you're wanting to keep up with the schedule, go to chipperish.com and search Big Strong Yes Schedule and you'll find all the information about what we're reading and when. Yeah, so go there, just search under the schedule. You can find everything that we're doing, the exact uh, chapters and everything. Big Magic is broken up into five parts and they're pretty big. So we're we're taking sort of like subsections within that. It can be a little hard to figure out exactly what we're reading. So the schedule is there. Everything is laid out exactly what we're reading and when for Big Magic. So that's going to be a lot of fun. I'm really looking forward to that. And because of the way it's organized, I mean, who knows, we may end up having mm-hmm. to shift around once we start talking about it. Oh, yeah. Um, I have now learned not mm-hmm. to be married to a syllabus because it is <laughs> impossible to tell where the reading is going to lead. And oh, yeah. I would rather, mm-hmm. you know, adjust so that we can we're serving the content and the experience more than the schedule. So we yes. might have to be a little flexible on that. Absolutely. Yeah, I always put on my syllabus on the course schedule. I say, you know, this is subject to whimsy and caprice. So I will change oh, I like it that. time. <laughs> Subject to whimsy and caprice. I am stealing that from you. Yes. I like it. So um, it's also going to be interesting, I think, to see how the homework and the strong challenge and the big idea and the yes, like how that framework is going to translate to the next book. Because those things kind of developed organically from Rising Strong. Um, And I don't know how to predict how that's going to happen, but I'm really interested in it. And I hope that um, you continue to hold my feet to the fire for homework. Oh, yeah. It's been really helpful. (laughs) No, I mean, you know, we're going to have to be a little flexible, I think. But I think when we're talking about creativity, um, that there's a lot of space for that as well. You know, the things that you resist within your creativity. I think it'll probably match up fairly well. But I'm looking forward to seeing it. And, you know, and we, like I said, whimsy and caprice. We just, we can change anything (laughs) at any time to make it work for whatever it is we're doing at the moment. But it is, it's really going to be fun. I'm looking forward to Big Magic. Big Magic is like the happy place for me. Like I'm happy in Big Magic. Rising Strong kicked my ass, but Big Magic is my happy place. (laughs) I can't wait. I can't wait. So Whimsy and Caprice. I do think we might have found an episode show title. Very possibly. I love it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, speaking of things that were not whimsical or capricious, how was your homework? (laughs) Oh, gosh. Well, my homework was I was going to memorize the don't do anything mantra, you know, Mm -hmm. and just like put it on graphics and make all this stuff. And I didn't do any of that. But I did I did kind of alter it for me, like the don't do anything thing. So this is my don't do anything. Um don't do anything. Don't say anything. It doesn't matter what they deserve. You deserve better. And if they won't give you better, then you give better to yourself. No text, no email, no phone, no subtweeting. <laughs> Just <laughs> breathe. And so that's my, my mantra for me, that when I get into this space where I really want to lash out, mm-hmm. um, this is what I'm going to do. And I actually had a situation, you know, earlier um, in the week where, uh, where I had a, an angry moment, you know, I had an angry a thing and, um, and I was able to kind of keep it, keep it down and be calm you know, and kind of just, just repeat myself and say, this is where I'm coming from. This is what's happening without lashing, you know, without being, because the thing is, is that when I'm feeling vulnerable, when I'm feeling hurt, when I'm feeling like, you know, like I'm attacked or whatever, that's when I go straight into attack mode. You know, I go right back out and I'm going to give at least as good as I got, if not better. And in this circumstance, like the other person was misbehaving and I was like, okay, I'm going to stay here. I'm going to stay at this level. I'm not going to get into it. I'm not going to lash out. I'm going to, you know, repeat. This is what I'm saying. Not what you're hearing, but this is what I'm saying. And let it, and it worked. 
So, um, so keeping my calm and not lashing out, I think is something that I'm going to, I'm going to keep working on. So I'm feeling pretty good about that. But, um, I was basically like going to do so much stuff this week. I had the week off. The kids were in Tennessee with their dad. They went to go see the eclipse, you know, and I had the week off and no kids. Right. Mm -hmm. And I was going to get so much work done. I was going to get like way ahead on all of my chipperish stuff. I had all of these plans and man, I crashed so hard. Like I kept up with the chipper stuff, but that was all I could do. I couldn't work. I did the bare minimum every day and just crawled into bed. And the thing is like, I, I've kind of realized that I'm, I'm out of the crisis of all of this. Like I was very much in the crisis at the beginning. And the only way that I could deal with it was by really compartmentalizing, like having no time for any personal stuff. Everything had to be work. Cause when I was working, I felt good, you know, so I got this full-time job and then I had a media company on top of it. And man, I was working both of them, you know, and doing everything I could. And when my full-time job got, you know, things got slow cause they get slow over the summer. I made up work. I made up projects. I did things, you know, <laughs> and then I came home and I did extra stuff for chipperish and all this kind of stuff. And, um, and I found that that was how I dealt with, uh, you know, not having it within myself to deal with all this personal stuff. And now I'm past the crisis and I can actually start to process. Um, I'm not like actively bleeding anymore. You know, I think I'm still yeah. a little bit in the wound. I'm not entirely scarred, but I'm in a transitional space now, you know? Right. And, um, and so because of that, like I've, I've realized that I have to balance my life out a little bit more that I don't need to lean so much on the work just to get through the day. And so now I'm, I'm looking at balancing you know, I'm looking mm -hmm. at balancing everything that I've got. I'm looking at, um, you know, giving myself a little more time for personal things, a little more time to spend with the kids, you know, to watch a movie that I'm watching for no purpose other than that I want to watch it, you know, to right. knit, to do these things. So, so I'm, I'm kind of going to balance my life out a little bit and I'm feeling good about that. So I'm feeling like there's, there's some progress, um, good. you know, so I didn't do the homework, but I feel like it's okay that I didn't do the homework I needed to crash this week. Well, actually, I think in that way you did do the homework because mm -hmm. part of that mantra was don't say anything. Part of that mantra was don't do anything. Yeah. And for someone who is as called to action as you are, mm -hmm. that's a different way of interpreting that. Yeah. That sometimes that means don't work. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And all the things that you just described that you're going to be doing to help you find balance. Mm -hmm. No, last week you were kind of struggling with defining that Wonder Woman list, you know, or that yes. list of, of wins mm -hmm. or... I actually think that may be how it's manifesting itself for you. Oh, maybe. Mm -hmm. So those things that you just mentioned that help you find balance, right? Resting, watching a movie for fun, mm -hmm. not for analysis, hanging yeah. out with the girls, knitting. The heart of those things, I think, is what's going to fill up that list for you. Mm -hmm. So maybe yeah. if you start thinking about it like that, you can add things to the list that bring you to that feeling of calm and balance. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. All right. So how did your homework go? So my homework was to, to follow the magnet, which is this, <laughs> this idea of just I love that. kind of intuitively saying, you know, what am I being pulled toward and why in terms of creativity or happiness or just things that I like? And, and when I follow it, it is pulling me towards lots of different kinds of, of creativity. Mm -hmm. And right now it's almost completely focused on environment. And I yeah, think, great. you know, obviously, because I'm, I'm unpacking and trying to set up a new mm -hmm. place, but, but doing that with more intention than I've ever mm -hmm. done before, doing that, trying to make things not only comfortable, but visually 
yeah appealing like visually fun and bringing mm-hmm. in the colors I love and the things that I love and trying to set that up in a way where there's something in every single room that makes me happy mm-hmm. and oh good that's so different <laughs> and um and this kind of you know creative outlook I guess in in different things is both exciting and exhausting because life and responsibilities don't pause when you're on the verge of creative revolution, right? Like, no, they don't. I don't. <laughs> so time and energy management are still big mm-hmm. challenges for me. Um, but I did have one one little win in that that I thought was kind of fun. Mm-hmm. So um, in unpacking, I found buried in the basement and like a whole bunch of stuff, a, a, a keyboard, like a piano electric oh, keyboard. Yeah. So it's not full size, but it's big enough that you can practice with it. And... Mm-hmm. One of the things kind of in that creative pull magnet wish list is to start playing the piano again. Because I oh played when God. I was a kid and I, and I was pretty good and I loved it. And it's not something I have picked up for years and years and years. And um, the keyboard was actually one I had bought from my son to try to get him into piano when he was younger, mm-hmm. which he blatantly rejected. Um, <laughs> so it's been, you know, like wrapped up for years and years and years. Um, and so it's unwrapped now and been cleaned off and plugged in and in the living room and I'm like I'm going to practice playing piano even if I sound like a four-year-old sounding out scales um it's kind of fun (laughs) you know that's awesome that part is kind of fun um and I did write a little more and in the spirit of funny stories from the magical universe I will say um we on the eclipse day which was awesome Mm -hmm. uh, we were actually in the path of totality and so Um, my son and I got to watch it together and we had the eclipse glasses, you know, and we, mm-hmm. we also had an extra pair. So we cut them in half and we each put part of the eclipse glasses lens over our camera lenses on our phones. Oh, cool. So we could try to take pictures and we actually got a couple that are pretty good. Oh. And so I put them up on Facebook and one of the women that I used to work with, who is a creative writing professor well she she's a professor of English but she also teaches creative writing and she's a wonderful writing coach and just an incredibly encouraging person and she runs a student press for the or, you know, for the university and they publish mm-hmm. usually one book a year um, and so she saw the photo uh, that I had posted and asked if she could use it for the cover of the next student collection of essays that they're publishing oh my God. and I was like yeah of course that's cool you know that'll mm-hmm. be awesome and she emailed me back and she's like, I know that you have a lot going on in your life and whatever. She's like, but girl, it's really time that you send me some writing. Like, I've been waiting on you. Now, this is completely unprompted. We haven't spoken in it over a year. <laughs> like, there's, and she's not, oh, she doesn't man. know I'm doing this podcast. So, like, completely unprompted, out of the blue, you know. <laughs> I'm like, okay. When the universe knocks that hard on your door, even someone oh, yeah. as hard-headed as I am, has to listen. <laughs> so I um, oh, I actually sent her the, the same draft that I had sent you. Oh, um, the rabbit? Yep. The rabbit Ooh. stories, which was scary because she has known me for a long time. Uh-huh. We have worked together for, oh God, like almost 15 years. So she knows me. Mm-hmm. And so it was really, and you know, she's a writing teacher. So it was like mm-hmm. double potential for embarrassment. Um, and her feedback was really encouraging too. And okay. so it made me feel better, you know, um, mm-hmm. about it. And, and so just, just trying to kind of keep working on it. But I, I just thought it was hilarious. It's like you send in a picture of the eclipse and you get an email that says, Hey, how about some writing? And you're like, crap. <laughs> like, 
this is what I'm talking about. I know we had some problems with the Paulo Coelho quote about when you're on the path that you're supposed to be on, the universe will, you know, will nudge you along, will help you, right? Yeah. You know, and I, and I can see absolutely everybody who had an argument with that idea. But this is what I'm talking about. Like, certain things just happen when, I don't know, when you open up to it. And you have been like the the path that you have been on throughout this process that has been pulling you into this creativity. I am not surprised at all that, that people are thinking that people are kind of feeling the rumble in the universe that, that Kelly Jones is about ready. (laughs) You know, Um, I think that people are feeling that, you know? And so I, I love that she got in touch with you and that you sent it to her, which is so brave because that's really hard for you. Well, and I think part of it is this magic of the universe, which I do believe in. And I I think the other part is being open. Because this is not the first time she has said that to me. And I've Mm -hmm. never sent her anything before, you know. And so I think it part of it is the magic of of things. And part of it Mm -hmm. is just the magic of her, because that's who she is. But part of it is being open to something that I haven't been open to before. And Mm -hmm. so I think that that may be how to interpret that quote a little bit in a way that I can, that I can reckon with. That makes sense. That doesn't, doesn't have a backlash side of it. Whereas right. like, okay, the universe is telling you, screw you if you're not doing the right thing or whatever. Right. You know? Cause it's, it's that reversal of the quote. I think that, that I understand why people would have a problem with it. Like, oh, me completely. too. Absolutely. But at the same time, I feel like when you, when you open up, you know, to certain things, when you, and, and maybe that's what it is more is that like, when you're ready, for certain things in your life, when you kind of put it out to the universe, I'm ready for this. This is my time to do this. The universe finds you and sends you things, you know, yeah. that can help you. And I think that that happens, you know, I mean, it just, it, it always feels like that this woman got in touch with you at this particular time, right after you've gone through, like, it just feels like the timing was right. And she felt a rumble in the universe and was like, Oh, I got to get a hold of something. And you know, you've had things like that happen to you where all of a sudden one day for no reason at all, you wake up and you think, Oh my God, I got to email this person about this thing. Yes, and you do absolutely. that and it just happens to be the right thing at the right time. Right. You know? Or you just, you get a sense that. Oh, you know what? I think so-and-so might be having a bad day today. I'm just going to check on him. And Mm -hmm. so part of that is just being open in general, um, which is something I I do tend to struggle with. It's much easier to be closed off Mm -hmm. than it is to be open to a lot of things. So, you know, openness itself is sort of a concept for me to to rumble with a little. Mm -hmm. But I am far more open now than I was at the beginning of this podcast. (laughs) So I know we'll, we'll talk more about that in the reflection, but... Um, I mean, in the reflection episode, but it's, yeah, it was an interesting week for, for that kind of stuff. So that's very cool. I'm excited. Yeah. So in addition to, uh, to homework, what were your reflections for this last week? God, you know, I've really been thinking about the whole idea of integration. Like that Mm -hmm. was something when she first started talking about it that I just had no, I was like, what the hell are you talking about? Integration, this wholehearted thing. Like, what is that? That none of it made any sense to me. Like I understood what the word meant, but I couldn't quite wrap my mind around the concept as it relates to how you deal with yourself personally. I've never, I've never thought about integration before, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. So I've been thinking about that and there's something about, you know, along with like the lashing out stuff that we were talking about last week, this sort of opened this idea up for me, this idea that 
I have been through my whole life trying to, you know, like banish my imperfections, find the things that are wrong with me and never allow them to be part of my personality again, like smother them with a pillow, you know? <laughs> and, um, and I think the idea of integration where it is most powerful for me is that I need to look at these things that are part of me, that are part of who I am, that, that are part of the Kevlar I had to put on as a kid, right? You know, that I built these things up as, as something that was necessary for me to survive. And now they are a part of who I am and I cannot beat them out of myself. I can't overcome them. I can't vanquish them. I cannot smother them with a pillow, make them go away. I have to accept them. I have to integrate them and I have to manage them. Because when I pretend that I've overcome this thing and it is no longer a part of who I am, then it's really easy for in, in a bad moment for that part of myself to just take over, you know, because I'm not expecting it, you know, um, and I've never been able to, to fully integrate, I think the dark parts of myself before. And now I feel like, like I'm doing that. And part of that integrating those dark parts is also acknowledging and accepting the things about me that are good. You know, um, the whole affirmation thing I found to be completely ineffective until I addressed the real problem, which was this, you know, completely false sense that I have no inherent value, you know, that, um, that I have to be perfect. I have to be all of these things in order to just make up for the fact that I'm so incredibly deficient, you know? Um, and so working through that affirmation, I am not deficient. There is nothing wrong with me, you know? Um, working through that has helped me not only to like see and appreciate the things about myself that are good, but to acknowledge and integrate the dark parts, because like, if I had to be perfect, if I had to be all of these good things in order to just make up for that, that sense of unworthiness, then I could never even look directly in the eye, the dark parts of me that are also very real, because they would just, you know, send me back even further, you know, make me even more unworthy, make me even more deficient, you know. So there's something about being able to acknowledge that I am not deficient, that I am not, you know, born behind, you know, like way behind where everybody else is, you know, just by naturally being human, I am somehow worse than that, you know. Um, it allows me to integrate all of these things, all of these parts of myself. And I have found that the, that that integration, that by accepting my darkness as well as my light has led me toward compassion, which is this whole other crazy thing and not exactly where I was expecting to go. But I've been thinking about my mother like a lot lately, as you all know, because I bring her up like every podcast, right? You know, <laughs> like um, I've been thinking about this and I've been thinking about her, but I've been thinking about her in a way that I haven't thought about her in a while. I mean, the woman has real problems, like very, very serious personality problems. And, and there's no hope for her. I mean, she's so far gone mentally now. She's in the last stages of dementia. There's no hope that she's going to, you know, figure her shit out and become a decent person. And if anything, the dementia has made her what used to be this very quiet, subtle manipulation in the background has become really blatant, really obvious, the way that she manipulates people now and the things that she does. She doesn't have the control over the situation to be able to manage everything the way that she used to. And so it's even like, it's even worse. Like the person that she is, is even more obvious now, you know? And, uh, and I've seen her as like just a villain, you know, for so long. Um, and now I'm, I'm looking at integrating my, my sense of her because 
she had some good qualities. I mean, she was incredibly strong. She held it together as a single mother for, you know, God, uh, 15 years, I think, you know, before I left college um, or before I left for college. And then, you know, before that, my father really wasn't that much of a help, you know. Um, she always worked hard, you know. Um, she made sure that I had a home and she, you know, made sure I had food and the basics that I needed. You know, what she denied to me, like love, attention, respect, you know, general care, you know, were things that she just didn't have to give. And I look at that and I think she lived a sad life like a, such a sad life. And she must've been in constant pain. Like every narcissist I believe lives in constant pain. And while that doesn't in any way excuse the bad, selfish and damaging things that they do, um, I don't think that they take pleasure in hurting people. I think that they just do it because they don't have it within them to not hurt the people who love them. And that has to be the saddest, most joyless way to live life. And, you know, I mean, I have separated the idea of the unfucking, right? You know, like right. like taking the things that she did to me that hurt me and that fucked up my life in a lot of ways and and unfucking them, you know, from the forgiveness, you know. Um but I find that like forgiveness is happening. Like I'm not unlike in the past where I felt like I should forgive everybody because that's what a good person does and so I reach for that forgiveness and I try to force that forgiveness. Now I'm finding that forgiveness is just simply happening. Um, I'm able to integrate the light and dark of myself. I'm able to see the light and dark of her and, and feel compassion for how difficult things must have been for her, how hard that must have been, how lost, you know, a narcissist is or somebody with that level of personality disorder becomes um, because that is, that's just, you, you have lost all connection to yourself as well as to anybody else. And, and that's gotta be really hard. So I, I find it really interesting that I'm not trying to make forgiveness happen. It's happening, you know, and, and part of that is that she can't hurt me anymore. You know, I mean, she's, you know, she's, she's living with my aunt. I'm probably never going to see her again. Um, you know, it's just, it's all done. It's done for me, you know? Um, but, I find that like I'm, I'm able to be more compassionate with myself and that compassion that allows me to integrate the dark parts is allowing me to integrate the light parts into the villains in my story. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and, and not, I don't feel like I'm altering my reality. I feel like I'm just expanding everything, you know, that is part of that reality. And there were things in her that were, that were good. I mean, I don't know, like, good as in a good person good but like positive she was strong you know and she worked hard and that kind of thing and um and so you know I'm looking at that and I'm I'm sort of like the the integration this idea that I struggled with from the beginning of this you mm -hmm. know I feel like is is opening things up for me in really really unexpected ways pretty amazing I mean that's kind that's a hell of a journey that you've been on there because you did struggle with that concept so much and Oh, yeah. But I think you're right that compassion for yourself naturally leads to a more compassionate view of others. And mm -hmm. it's not so much about giving compassion to someone who may not deserve it as it is seeing things through a lens of compassion that helps you understand something that you may not have been able to understand before. Right. Mm -hmm. So how about you? Well, I think about integration maybe on the opposite end because mm -hmm. like I know my dark side. Really well. I mean, you know, come to the dark side. We have cookies, y'all. I've got 
coffee go with it it's awesome like i (laughs) i know the dark parts of myself very well and i think my problem is forgetting the light parts Mm -hmm. um i have been in survival mode for so long and i say that all the time and i and i say it without really thinking about what it means Mm -hmm. but in survival mode you are in touch with the dark side of yourself at all times mm-hmm. because that is what is getting you through the day yes. and you know if you are are trapped off and you're dropped into the hunger games you know you're going to get to know your dark <laughs> side real fast or you're going to die <laughs> and <laughs> not that single parenting is that level of you know barbarism or that level of, of survival but but over an extended period of time sure you only rely on the those more dark ruthless stronger parts of yourself and it leaves so little space and time and energy for you know laughter and compassion and happiness and joy and then after a while you're pretty much defined by your survival self so for me integrating is is almost going backwards where (laughs) I'm trying to intentionally bring back some of the the light Mm -hmm. um and I have to learn how to step out of survival mode while accepting that I can be back in it at any time because I can't control all the things, you know? And so this, this leads me to wanting to be a better mother in a lot of ways. Like what you were saying about your mom, I am strong. I'm a provider. I'm a, you know, I will direct the footsteps or the actions or whatever of of this child, Mm -hmm. but the mom that laughs and plays and goofs off and is funny and silly and happy. Like there's not a lot of that mom because she's fucking tired. (laughs) <laughs> and so, like, I want to not only have more happiness in my life, but I want to show more of that to my mm-hmm. son because he knows survival mom really well. He doesn't know creative mom, you mm-hmm. know, very well. And it it was funny because in all things, you know, it leads back to Buffy for me. And right. I have been rewatching it mostly because of your doing Still Pretty. But mm-hmm. I was also pushing myself to go back and watch season six again especially the beginning of season six, because mm-hmm. I am not a fan. Yeah. And and I could list a lot of reasons why I wasn't a fan. You know, the writing's not what it should be, and the characters aren't what it should be, and it does this and it does that. But I had this big aha that the real reason I don't like season six is because mm-hmm. Buffy is in survival mode, and she's not in oh, the supernatural yeah. battle survival mm-hmm. mode. She's dealing with you know, feeling completely drained, out of place, no joy. She's dealing with the ramifications of grief. She's Being trying to pay mother. bills. She's a single yeah. mom. She's got a teenager who's a total brat on her hand. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, she's trying to figure out how to pay for things. And um, and that weighs so heavy on her that she's like, she's not fully present in her friend's life. Mm-hmm. The quippy Buffy is not around. You know, it's just this kind of dragging from day to day to day. And when I realized that that was why I didn't like this that season, mm-hmm. because that was far too real for me. Like, I know what that feels like. Yeah. And so I think just trying to put a different lens on survival mode and how the Rising Strong process fits into that mm-hmm. um, has been a really good aha. I, I, I certainly don't have it figured out, but mm-hmm. um, but I know that, you know... The small moments of kindness and happiness and laughter matter as much as the big ones. And mm-hmm. I'm just trying to pull more of that into my life. So I don't know the name of a process for that. Like <laughs> <laughs> rising strong creativity flavor. I don't know. Yes. But, um, <laughs> but it's something that I want to keep thinking about and working on, though. So, right. Well, I think yeah. Big Magic will be helpful for that. 
Oh, I hope so. It's going to be yeah. so interesting to read this with you. I'm, it's, I think yeah. it's just going to be a whole other level of that book. So I'm really looking yeah. forward to it. So. Oh, it's going to be really, really fun. I'm looking forward to it, too. I think that is so great. I think you've had some really incredible insights. And, you know, this idea that I'm trying to, like, you know, integrate my darkness, which I have, have traditionally denied and ignored and, and tried to smother with a pillow. And <laughs> you are trying to to bring the lightness back into your life. You know, because you've relied on the, the hard edge of that darkness to get you through, you know, really, really difficult things. Um, I find that so interesting. And it's so interesting how we re reflect each other in that way at this point, you know? <laughs> oh, it is. It's, and I, I wouldn't have thought of that or realized it even when we started this. But, it, it, you know, it may be one of the reasons that reading all of this with you is so interesting because we are sort of at two different ends of that. Oh, yeah. Um, mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's been very cool. Very cool. Wow. That is really interesting. All right. Yeah. So what did you get out of this reading? What did you think about this final chapter? Um, I think there were some really cool points in this. Uh, and, and it's a short chapter. But the idea of evolution versus revolution is one mm -hmm. that, that's going to stick with me. Yeah. And she talked about, you know, incremental change, which is like the idea of evolution versus, mm -hmm. you know, no turning back transformation revolution, right? Mm -hmm. And I started thinking about this in terms of story and thought, well, evolution can be shown in a montage. Mm -hmm. So if you can show like months of someone training or studying or makeover or whatever with music and time passes, then you might have an evolutionary change. Sure. But revolution is a single moment that changes the world. And that mm -hmm. may be someone standing up and saying, no more, or someone right. staying up, you know, it, this, this one intentional change that you can't come back from that changes reality in a way that, you know, hopefully if, if it's a positive revolution, <laughs> that is, <laughs> you know, that's for the, for the best. Um, and she said, all revolutions start with a new vision of what's possible. And so being yeah. able to think about how you want things to be different in that way, I think is also incredibly powerful. Um, and in that same line, when you're thinking about why you should rumble and get to the point of revolution anyway, on page 254, she said, my story matters because I matter. Mm -hmm. And I think that is a mantra that a lot of people are going to struggle with. I'm going to struggle with. But that to say this does matter because I matter is mm -hmm. is a pretty good thing to, to keep. I mean, that's, that's going in the toolbox. So. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> what about that's you? A big one. Yeah. Oh, God. You know, um, I, I found this. We She had all this stuff about the work. Right. Yeah. You know, she was talking about the work and whenever she talks about the work, I'm kind of like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I, I get it. You know, that's cool. Like in, in the workplace, that's great. Everything. Right. Um, but I think that like for me, I was looking at the, the idea of the revolution and one mm -hmm. thing that we kept, she kept coming back to, um, is the idea of the process becoming a practice. When the process becomes a practice on page 253, when the process becomes a practice, a way of engaging with the world, there's no doubt that it ignites revolutionary change. And that's, the thing for me, like the, um, I get very excited by ideas, by new ways of handling things, by mm -hmm. new ways of talking about things. You know, this all revolutions start with a new vision of what is possible. Like that to me is my catnip. I love that. <laughs> the newness of things is always yes. very exciting to me, a new way of doing something, but then it gets boring when it becomes a practice, when it becomes an everyday, when it becomes a thing that is not new anymore, if it is not bright and shiny, um, I tend to get distracted by something that is bright and shiny. Mm -hmm. And so um, I think for me, like the biggest, the biggest part of this is this idea of um, 
of really incorporating the practice, you know, um, of the understanding. And I think that a lot of this book has been revolutionary for me because the revolution is something that you can't go back again. Once the revolution has happened, you cannot go back to the previous way that you were. Right. And simply having the practice through these last, you know, 10 weeks of doing this podcast and, you know, reading this book, this practice of the reckoning, you know, like mm-hmm. when I feel an emotion, when something hits, I look at it and I try to get curious about it. Um, this idea of the rumble, you know, taking the time to kind of figure it out rather than knee jerking to like what may be the quote unquote right answer immediately, which is what I've always done in the past. Um, th- the, all of this stuff becomes a practice, not because I'm forcing myself to do it, but because I've, I've, I've created an awareness. I've, I've gotten an awareness of things that I, I can't go back to doing it any other way. You know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, um, so I find that all to be, uh, to be really interesting. And I think the thing that, um, you know, along with the idea of integration, um, as I was reading this chapter, I was just thinking about the rumble because she's, she's been walking us through uh, people actually rumbling with things and what the rumble means, you know, mm-hmm. and the idea of I'm not deciding in a moment, you know, in a heartbeat, what the right thing is to do you know, based on preset ideas of, you know, things that I have presumed my whole life about my value, about what I need to do, about the fact that I need to give more and I need to be more and I need to do better just to be as good as anybody else. You know, all of these things have fed into my knee jerk responses to every challenge in my life with I'm going to do the right thing. What is the right thing? You Mm -hmm. know, Um, And the right thing was usually the thing that benefited others the most and benefited me the least, you know, Um, the idea of the rumble and the real value for me in the rumble is that I don't have to be right. I just have to ask the question. I just have to be curious. Like, it's not about being right. It's about being curious about it and, and looking at my responses and not judging them on this spectrum of right and wrong and good and bad. Um, you know, and then pretending that the wrong isn't there and pretending that the bad isn't there, you know, um, it, the rumble allows me to kind of spend time with the whole process and figure out, you know, maybe not what is right, but what is, what is best in the end, you know, um, what course of action. And again, me, I got a knee jerk. I got to do action. So the do nothing, shut up, sit down, you know, is going to be really valuable for me with that. To shut up and sit down and rumble, you know, mm-hmm. instead of knee jerk and take action. That for me is, is a revolutionary thing, you know, a, a revolutionary concept, you know, for how I, I'm going to approach my life from here on out. And I really hope that I do continue to do this from here on out when it is no longer shiny, you know, right. when it is no longer new and shiny. So that's like kind of the thing that challenges me the most. But um, but to give this rumble and this idea, like my time and my attention, which are things that I spread very thinly over a ton of tasks, rather than focusing entirely on one thing and, and doing it, you know, really to the best of my abilities. What I do is I take all of my time and attention and I kind of slather it over a whole bunch of things, spreading it as far as it'll possibly go so that I can do everything well enough, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I really want to kind of look at that as well and, and give my time and attention and not knee jerk, 
to the action immediately. So all of that together between last week and this week and the integration and the shut up and sit down, you know, I mean, all of this <laughs> stuff, um, I think is, is coming together for me in this kind of, this kind of holistic, you know, method that mm-hmm. I think I may actually be able to apply to my life with some consistency. Yeah, I think <laughs> that's I fantastic. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and she's right in that a process, any process is nowhere near as, as powerful as, as practice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think practice is actually a fascinating concept. And there's a, there's a lot of research out there around what makes good practice, like what mm-hmm. actually makes a difference. In terms of change, in terms of talent development, just in in all kinds of ways of what constitutes good practice. Mm-hmm. And so there's there's two big schools of thought. Um, and I am talking off the cuff of this. I have no notes because it just hit me. So none of my citations are going to be correct. But here we go. So there is the school of thought that says this is a function of time. So um, there's there's a theory out there that you hit 10,000 hours of practice, and that is the mm-hmm. magic number for expertise, right? Or if you're writing, I think they said it's a million words or something. But there's some right. finite, quantitative, you've done this for this amount of time, ergo, you now develop a practice that works mm-hmm. for you. You have mastered the thing. There is another school of thought that says you can do as many damn hours as you want. It's not going to make a difference if you're not getting feedback on your performance. Mm -hmm. So you can keep doing the thing with repetition. You're not going to get better until you're actually reflecting on your progress. Mm -hmm. So you have to look and how's it going? Am I better than I was last time? Has it gotten, has it improved? Um, And actually sometimes run that by other people as well. That's where coaching comes in and, and some Mm -hmm. of that. And I am much more a fan of that school of thought. That mm-hmm. practice without reflection is just repetition, uh-huh. you know, and so adding that reflective piece, whether that is conversations like this, you know, keeping mm-hmm. the conversation going, which I, th- I think is a big part of her process of Dr. Mm-hmm. Brown's process, even though she doesn't quite spell it out. I do think mm-hmm. that the sharing of the thing yeah. adds to this. And so you can't get bored with practice if you are constantly looking at the result of the practice. Mm-hmm. So by continuing okay. to share stories, by continuing to rumble, by continuing to reflect and ask yourself, how is this going? Am I better at this than I used to be? How do I feel mm-hmm. now? Like those kinds of inquiry-based questions will keep practice alive no matter what you're working on. Okay. And I think that that's very true here as well. Um, and that was like a completely like random rumble into the world of practice, but I do think no, it's that's important, really interesting. you know, no, that's really interesting. It's one of the things that, that I had in my notes is that I was talking about how, like, I'm, I'm kind of scared that once I leave this book, I'm going to forget and I'm not right. going to do these things, which have been really valuable because the only reason I'm doing it now is not because it helps me. Let's be honest. It's because I got a podcast to do. It's because, it's, part <laughs> of the work. it's because I take the work seriously and I don't take myself and my needs and, and what I need to do for me seriously, which is something I'm working on. Mm-hmm. Rome was not built in a day. That's right. Um, but one of the things I was thinking about is that, that we have this community that like you and I have each other and there's everybody in the discord chat and on Twitter who are talking about SFDs, who are using the rumble, who are using reckoning, who are using this language and the concepts and the understanding in order to be able to talk to about it with other people in order to be able to, you know, to have these conversations. And I think that having a community that also understands 
this concept that is working within, you know, within this space helps to cement that as well. Oh, absolutely. You know, and I think that 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 is really helpful. If you were doing this by yourself and you didn't have the community to um, to talk to in these terms, a community Mm -hmm. that understands what reckoning is, what rumbling is, you know, all that kind of stuff. um, I think that that is uh, that that's a real value of that. And so I'm really glad that we've got this community set up. And even as we're going through big magic and even as we're going through year of yes, I mean, I hope that this community, as they hit things that challenge them, will come back to the reckoning and will come back to the rumble because I think it's that process that's going to allow us to, to really frame and identify and understand all the other things in our lives. Well, and, and a shared language is probably mm-hmm. the, the, the best weapon you know, or the best yeah. tool that, that a group of humans can ever possibly have. Mm-hmm. And so if you are using these these tools and these terms, you know, a shitty first draft or a rumble or reckoning or whatever, and you're sharing that language with your closest friends or with one other person in your life, then you, you have that ability to, to use those tools together. Um, mm-hmm. And when she, a lot of this chapter was talking about how she uses Rising Strong at home, like in her parenting mm-hmm. with her husband and with her children and how they use it at work and with organizations. And I kind of at first thought, well, that must be nice. But I, yeah. I can't. it's so far removed from my reality. Like the right. thought of having parents that use these kind of language and tools <laughs> is like, you might as well have raised me on another planet because I can't, right. I can't even. Um, or even to be, you know, in an organization that has mm-hmm. fully integrated this and, and that really yeah. uses it. Um, it's, it's just so far removed from, from what I can imagine. But I do have friends that use this language, you know, in addition Mm -hmm. to the podcast, just from reading the book together. Um, And and I think that there is real magic in that. And and it keeps Mm -hmm. it alive because you're able to to share that and know exactly what each other means. And is this a shitty first draft or is this something that you want to problem solve? You know, Mm -hmm. where are you in that process? Like, it's just really helpful to share that with people. Um, so, and, and we'll talk about it in a second with our strong challenge, but I'm trying to figure out how to bring these tools into my world with a teenager who I know is not going to read this book with me. And so I'm, I'm, (laughs) I'm currently thinking, okay, this is great for me to do, but I need, I need my son to do this with me. And I don't know how to teach him these things in a way that is going to resonate with him. Because I know damn well he's not reading Rising Strong with me. Um, and so I, I, I am, that's kind of on my list of, of, so I'm getting a little ahead, but, but it is an interesting idea. Yeah, no, actually idea, everything so. you're talking about is all my, my yes, my challenge, <laughs> you know, all of this stuff is exactly what I'm talking about. So you know what, let's just go ahead. Let's just mix it all up. Let's just, it's the last chapter, okay, whatever. Cool. Um, but, uh, you know, cause one of the things that I'm, I'm doing for my yes, which is mm-hmm. the thing we end on this week, but I'm going to bring it up now because it's my show and I can do what I want. Oh, we're going to go um, crazy and go out whimsy, of order. What? Caprice. Caprice. You don't know what I'm going to do. Whimsy and Caprice. I'm a zag. Yeah, no. um, (laughs) You don't know what I'm going to do. At any given moment, nobody knows what I'm going to do. But yeah, one of the things that I've decided is that there's this thing that that one of my daughters has asked for that we've started doing, which is every Thursday night at eight o'clock. Um, we get together and we spend an hour. We, you know, eat ice cream. We talk about things, whatever. And and I'm finding that when we spend that time together, like, because we spend regular time together, like, you know, when we're eating dinner, when we're doing stuff or whatever. Mm-hmm. And you just sort of sit there and you sort of casually, like, whatever. 
whatever and you're watching TV. And that's what the eight o'clock at Thursday at eight o'clock has become is become, you know, we hang out, we watch TV or we talk about whatever's on TV or we talk about, you know, like, like stuff, music and stuff like that. But we're not really talking, which I think is what she initially really wanted out of that Thursday yeah. night, you know? So I have purchased two copies of Rising Strong. Oh, awesome. Um, I'm giving it to each of my daughters. And, you know, I've talked to uh, my older daughter, Sarah, about this. And she's like, ah, it's kind of written for middle-aged women. And I'm like, yeah, I get it. Most <laughs> examples are not 18-year-old examples. Like, I get it, you know. Um, but I'm going to tell them that they have to read one chapter every week. They have mm -hmm. to take notes in the margins. They have to mark it all up. They have to give their responses, even if their response is yawn. Um, we're going to every week take one chapter and we're going to talk about it on Thursday nights. And then after that, we're going to do another book and maybe it'll be a book that they choose. It'll be oh, a fiction I book. It'll be something that. fun. But basically I'm going to do a book club with the girls. Um, and every week that's something we're going to do together. And that's going to be our Thursday night thing. And, um, and I think that that's going to help us at the very least, if we start with rising strong, even if they hate every minute of it and I have to drag them through it, kicking and screaming, which I will do because I am the source of their food and shelter. So they're do okay. <laughs> um, then at least we'll have the common language. And yeah. then at a certain point when they have an issue, I'm going to be able to say, okay, let's rumble with this. And they're going to be so used to it that they won't roll their eyes and be like, whatever. Yeah. You know, give me, you know, give me their shitty first draft, um, you know, oh, um, or give each it. other their shitty first drafts that they will have a language to be able to um, to kind of reckon with these things in a way that we haven't had. And especially as a family um, and now. I'll go into my strong challenge this week, which is, of course, because I'm just going all over the place, whatever, whatever the hell, um, <laughs> because they were talking about Brene Brown was talking about how she's at work. Right. You know, and she and they're all talking about, you know, the story that I'm making up in the middle of a meeting and all this kind of stuff. And then they were able to deal with it. They're able to talk about it. They're able to be open. I'm like, yeah, that's great because you built this organization from the ground up. Everybody you hired, you said, hey, this is our process. Learn this process. That's great. Um, anybody who's working in any kind of place that was not run and started by Brene Brown, like trying <laughs> to get people to to understand these processes, to yeah. understand this way, to like connect with each other this way, to use this common language. Like I was thinking about that. I mean, I work at a university, like this university has been around for a long time and they're actually really pretty good. Like they're pretty mm -hmm. good about, about communication. I feel very lucky with the college that I'm in. Um, but at the same time, like, you know, these people have been around doing this thing for 30 years. Like I'm not going to come in and be like, Hey, let's rumble, you know? And they're going to be like, yeah, I get it. You know, um, like that stuff just isn't going to happen. And nobody's going to say the story I'm making up, you know, in, in my work environment and so like I, I'm like yeah you know that's great if you're starting a company with this or if you work for Brene Brown but like how do you bring this stuff I mean the only thing you can do is is use it on yourself and if anybody says hey how are you doing this amazing stuff then you say hey well actually you know and you share it then but <laughs> let me give um, you this book <laughs> Exactly. Like the idea of being able to, um, to bring this into a workplace culture yeah. is this nice little, you know, um, utopian dream, mm -hmm. but like how, how you would ever be able to do that, how you would, without the person at the top deciding that everybody has to learn this process. Like, right. you know, most of us can't work in an environment like that. And I mean, you know, my work environment is pretty damn good. Like I'm not worried, you know, yeah. but I mean like most of us can't do that in our environment. So what I would rather see, you know, from Brene Brown and maybe someday she'll do this or maybe she already has, I know she's written a million books, but, um, is, is not just like, 
in this utopian environment where everybody's on board, right. you know, this is how you bring it into your workplace. But like, how do you bring it into your workplace? How do you make it work for you and for your coworkers who maybe don't have that background? Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. I would like one on um, parenting a teenager, rising strong, just that. <laughs> but I was going to, so that, yeah. your, but your, your yes for the week reminded me of two things that I, I think are pretty mm-hmm. cool. So one is there is a, um, there's a book. And it's a journal. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think it's called Just Between Us. It's something like that. Mm -hmm. But it's a mother-daughter journal. And so Mm -hmm. it has writing prompts for both of you. So Mm -hmm. like she would write, you know, the girls would write something and then they would give it to you and you would respond and give Mm -hmm. it back. And so it's Mm -hmm. kind of this really cool like writing back and forth Mm -hmm. sort of journal. Um, So that might be fun for you guys to look at. Um, And then I was thinking about the, the week date and we don't quite formalize it and maybe we should. But one of the the fun things that I am doing with my son right now is we are watching this show called Rick and Morty, which I (laughs) I never in a million years would have (laughs) would have watched. And Mm -hmm. it is brilliant. Now, it's incredibly R rated. It's, you know, very inappropriate. Mm -hmm. It's full of bad content, whatever. It's funny, but it is so smart. And there is there is either a literary reference or a story structure joke or something in every single episode. And so we we're watching that together and then kind of talking about, hey, where did the title of this one come from? And um, oh, that's great. You know, Mm -hmm. some of this really cool stuff that's in there. And so it's not sort of like this deliberate time set aside for it. And maybe I should do it that way. But in Mm -hmm. sharing something that he likes that also has something in there for me has been really good for both of us too. No, that can be really good. And if you guys are doing that on a regular basis, like the thing is that if we don't set aside Thursday night at eight, you know, like my yeah. work, the way that it's been, it overwhelms everything. I like so, the idea like, of doing that If you guys are naturally better. and organically yeah. finding that time, then it's fine. Yeah, yeah but I, I think probably having a set time out for it would be mm-hmm. really cool. Um, that could be good. So, yeah. So we, we talked about, let's wrap you up. What was your big idea? Because we've got your other oh, two. Oh, what was my big idea? Mine. Go yeah. completely in the background. No, I like it. We're, we're, we're mixing it up. <laughs> Just mixing it up this week. Um, I, the revolution begins when you start to believe that things can be different. Um, mm-hmm. I think that, you know, part of what can bring on, you know, some kinds of depression, there, there's depression that's chemical. There are all sorts of different kinds of depression. But the, my particular brand of depression comes from when I, I lose that hope that things can be different. You know, and um, and revolution is the flip side of that. You know, it is it is what happens when you do believe that you can change things, that things can be different, that you don't have to accept the status quo as being the way it will always be. And um, I like that idea. I like that concept. You know, for me, that's that's what the revolution is about. And the revolution also, you know, seeing it as not something that I make happen but something that is a direct result of of the things that I make happen, like because of the reckoning and the rumble, the revolution just happens, right. you know, kind of the way that because of the integration and the compassion, like the forgiveness just started to happen, mm-hmm. you know, that I wasn't, it's, it's like, I wasn't forcing myself to forgive my mother. I was just feeling it. Yeah. I was feeling compassion and forgiveness, you know? And, um, and so I find that, that interesting that it's, it, the revolution is the thing that happens after you've done the work. You know, the revolution is not something you force. It's something that happens organically because you did the process, because you did the practice. Right. Um, and so I find that to be like the, the thing that, 
out of all of this chapter that I've kind of connected with most strongly, you know, and something that I didn't really understand before. Okay, so that's my big idea for the week. What about you? So I think my big idea, my favorite part of this was the manifesto. Mm -hmm. So she wrote a manifesto for the brave and brokenhearted, and it's on page 267 in the paperback. Mm -hmm. And she said, showing up is our power. Story is our way home. Truth is our song. We are brave and brokenhearted. We are rising strong. And I love it. (laughs) So when I think showing up is our power and story is our way home, I kind of think that's why we're doing the podcast. Like that's what we brought to this. And Mm -hmm. it's been amazing. Um, And I really like the manifesto. So I think that was a a good aha (laughs) for the week. Oh, very cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I didn't connect that much with the manifesto. Um, because it presented as poetry and, you know, me and poetry. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm the opposite. I love poetry. it. I love it. Yeah. yeah. I was, it's just too, it, poetry uh, is just too damn vulnerable and, and to the bone. I, I need things that are a little more snarky <laughs> and sarcastic. It's a personal thing with me. Yes. Well, blending poetry and sarcasm though, I'll have to say I have been having fun, um, writing lyrics for the uh-huh. rising strong finale. Which is a few, a, like a fruitless effort because I cannot sing, but <laughs> there are a couple oh, of songs it. that like, when I hear them, the lyrics have gotten shifted around in my brain to remind uh-huh. me of the podcast. And I so <laughs> they're kind of playing around with them. So I may still write one out just for fun, just for the final oh, show. Do. But do. I will we'll not. We'll see if we can, I if will we get not. drunk enough, maybe we can sing. Oh, no, we'll no, 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 not me. <laughs> But there's there's one song where it's like, I think it's Imagine Dragons, and they have something mm-hmm. like the master of my speed or the master of my something, mm-hmm. which in my head, also, I misinterpret lyrics all the time, which is often oh, very funny. Sure. But mm-hmm. when I hear that song, I sing the master of my speedo every time. <laughs> <laughs> it just cracks me up. So right. I need you to write this song at the very <laughs> least. Maybe we can share the lyrics in the show notes. Or yeah. Something. So I'm playing okay. around with that. Right. So I think, I All think right. that may be my fun homework for the week. That could be really fun. <laughs> yeah. All right. So what was your strong challenge? So my strong challenge is, um, I feel like I have a pretty good grasp on the rising strong process, except mm-hmm. when I actually need to use it the most. So like, <laughs> I feel like I've got it down pretty good, except uh-huh. when I'm mad. And yeah. like the dragon that is me in full anger mode, like mm-hmm. looks at this teeny tiny little book and like breathes fire on it and it just evaporates <laughs> into ashes and I'm like roaring, you know, so <laughs> there's, there's some work to be done there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah, I would say, um, mm-hmm. Yeah, if I could start using this uh-huh. before, <laughs> not after, right. that would be awesome. Well, I mean, that's that takes practice. It does. And now, you know, you say he won't read it with you. Yeah. But, my, you know, you're still mom. Can you like, because neither no, one of my girls is going to want to do this no. book. So my son, okay. and, and this is actually <laughs> one of the big challenges I have as a parent. And, mm-hmm. and in some ways is great and in some ways is difficult. But my kid, the universe gave me this child. I think, uh-huh. to make me learn about learning. And yeah. my son is smart in a lot of ways that I am not smart. He's brilliant in ways that I have no capacity, but he is not a reader and he never has mm-hmm. been. 
And this is something that Mm -hmm. has broken my heart his whole life. I mean, this is a child who didn't want to be read to at night, who didn't want to go to story time. When I found out I was pregnant, the very first thing I bought was a picture book for the baby. Like, (laughs) right? Because I am book centered. Mm -hmm. And I have a child who hates reading. And it, it has been impossible. And like, there is nothing that that research says to do that I have not tried yeah. that work. So I know that there's no way that he's mm-hmm. going to read this with me. And and it would not be a positive experience if I made him because required right. reading is just hell in our house. Yeah. So I, yeah, I just have tough. to figure out. And I've gotten creative. I mean, like, uh-huh. so, you know, I have very creative ways of, of teaching him his alphabet and I had creative ways of teaching him how to read and Mm -hmm. I've gotten him through, you know, required books at school and we've done stuff on audio and we've done other things. And I Mm -hmm. I just have to figure out how, because in a simple world, I would say here, please read this, integrate all the concepts and come to me (laughs) and, and just be, you know, like super mature and make parenting easier. And (laughs) first of all, that's not his job. And second of all, it ain't going to happen. And so I have to figure out now that I think I have gotten a good handle on these things, Mm -hmm. I need to teach them to him in a way because just doing it for myself is not enough. Yeah. No, I find that it really like, this is the reason why I'm making the girls do it. I mean, they're not going to like it, but they're both readers, Yeah, you know, so they're both, and they also love having these deep philosophical conversations. So I think that because there's enough of value Mm -hmm. in this process for them, that it'll work, yeah. you know, but like, I mean, I completely understand why that's not going to work for you. Um, but another thing is like, I mean, would it be possible to sit down and say, okay, like for you to tell him about these concepts and say, these are concepts that I need you to understand about the things that I'm trying to do right now, because, you know, this is going to help us, you know, not to fight. It's going to help us to understand each other, you know, like teach him the concept of the story I'm, I'm making up, like the, the core concepts of the rising strong practice. Is that something? Something that you could talk to him about? Yeah, think? I, I think so. And I think that was mm-hmm. that part of my yes, part of my action for this week is writing a reflection of the book and of the first part of this podcast for our mm-hmm. finale. But mm-hmm. in that, I want to make a list of the tools that are staying in the toolbox, like the absolute yeah. invaluable, you know, concepts that I'm not mm-hmm. going to get rid of. Because if I can make a cheat sheet <laughs> for myself right. with that, mm-hmm. uh, because this book is so torn and tattered right now. Like this book looks like somebody. Oh, right. You had to put it back together. Oh yeah. She taped. I did. Tore on the thing. Yeah. yeah. But even with that, like it has been shoved in a briefcase. It has been shoved in a moving box. It has been, this book looks like somebody dipped it in a bathtub, you know, wrote it hard and hung it up wet. Like it, this book has been through the ringer. <laughs> and so like, I, and it is difficult to constantly flip through. A book and it, and it's impossible to flip through an audiobook. And so I think a cheat sheet is really going to help me. Um, and then maybe if I can pull out some YouTube videos, cause Brene Brown has a lot of videos. Um, and even some TED talks that are related that I could start, like maybe we'll watch an episode of whatever awful teenage thing he wants to watch. And then maybe we'll watch a video. And if I can do it video based, then I think I can do it. It's just going to require some intentional work on my part. So, so one of my yeses for the week is to write that mm-hmm. reflection and write that cheat sheet. Um, yeah. and the other is, is to keep following this magnet and just seeing where it leads me, which is really mm-hmm. interesting. And then to keep writing, I think is really mm-hmm. important. So we'll see how it goes. 
<laughs> I love it. I think that's all really great. I like I like everything that we've come to. I mean, we've we've kind of come to it faster. This was sort of a wrap up, uh, you know, chapter. Yeah. Um, and we sort of didn't have as much to talk about this week. But I think we got some some really good stuff going on. And uh, and I'm excited for the finale next week to talk about, you know, the book as a whole practice. Yes. And it's going to be really interesting to think about. God where we started mm-hmm. with this whole thing and what we thought we were going to get out of it as opposed to what actually happened. I mean, this has been, this has been like a, a completely unexpected. Yeah. I didn't expect to make this much progress in this time. I didn't expect to, um, to really change the way that I, I see and interact with not just the world, but like mostly with myself, it's mostly been an internal, right. you know, revolution for me. Um, so that's going to be a really interesting conversation to have next. It week. is. It really is. And I cannot wait to hear from the folks that are on this journey with us um, who have been listening and, and participating online too. So y'all please send in your thoughts and reflections for that finale. Cause it is going to be awesome. Yeah, I am really excited. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. All right. So it's your week to close up with a quote. What you got for us? So this week quote comes from the wonderful Nora Ephraim, who said, above all, be the heroine of your life, not the victim. Big Strong Yes is a Chipperish Media production and is entirely funded by listeners like you. To find out how you can support Big Strong Yes and everything Chipperish Media does, visit patreon.com slash chipperish. Thanks, y'all.